Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey friends, thanks for joining a podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called patreon.com slash BP show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show, patreon.com slash BP show. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Call evil by its name. That's what Republicans are telling Donald Trump, but he refuses to do so. Hey, what do you say, everybody? Great to see you today. Thank you for joining us. It is The Bill Press Show coming to you live, as always, from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., bringing you all the news of the day. What's happening here in Washington, although um, kind of lonely in Washington these days. But I'll tell you one thing. You can get a reservation in any restaurant you want right now. You can almost walk right in because the House is out of town, the Senate is out of town, and uh, the president is out of town, and the vice president is in uh, South America. So we're the only ones here. But we are on the job bringing you the news of the day, bringing you up to date on what's happening here in Washington, up in Bedminster, New Jersey, around the country, and around the globe. And the good news is we are not at war with North Korea or Venezuela yet. 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 Although it is early on the morning of Monday, August 14. So good to see you. Thank you so much for joining us. And, of course, we invite you to tell us what you think about the news of the day. Uh, don't just uh, listen to it from us and our guests and then settle back and say, well, that's the way it is. Um, you add your two cents. It's just important as anything that we have to say and do so by going on Twitter at BP Show. Uh, Jamie Benson is back from vacation. So, you know, the whole crowd is here today uh, and we will jump right into all the news of the day. But first... <laughs> This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. Now, Bill, I know that you yes. have your solar eclipse glasses ready. It's a week from tomorrow. All right. I bought mine yep. literally like two months ago on Amazon. You're a fool. Well, over the weekend, I got an email from Amazon that said that they could not confirm that the glasses that they sold me were up to, in quote, industry standards. And they have issued me a refund for the glasses and said I should not use them. I'm not the only one. They contacted thousands of customers who had bought solar eclipse glasses from their website. Uh, and I they say I, now, I didn't get an email. you didn't get an email? No. You might have bought one of the certified glasses. 
I thought there were no certified glasses. I thought that this was the whole point now. Well, no. No, no, no. There are certified glasses, but but there there are some, like, so, like, there is a specific standard you have to hit to be qualified by that NASA's suggestion to look at (laughs) an actual eclipse. So they sold solar eclipse glasses on Amazon, and they are not up to industry standards. So they're giving refunds to everybody, and they're finding out. But as of now, there are a lot of people who thought they had glasses who don't have glasses. Well- um, I had this long conversation with my sister yesterday. I gave her help because she had not bought uh, glasses for her grandchildren. And she went online while we were on the phone. And she said that, I'll have to double check, that Amazon had a thing up there saying we guarantee that all the glasses sold on our site meet the standards. That's probably true now. It wasn't true before the weekend. Because oh. the weekend is when they sort of is when they sort of contacted people and saying, if you I... bought glasses previously. In other words, if you planned ahead and bought your your, your Eclipse yeah, glasses, yeah, yeah. you yeah. might be screwed. So if you don't have glasses at all, what's what's the protocol? Um, stay indoors. Put your head under a pillow. Don't ah, look at the Eclipse. Don't 20, look at it directly. For 24 hours. Yeah. I don't have to come to work then. Sounds great. There you go. So just be careful. Double check your glasses. If you bought them on Amazon, they might not be any good. Uh, I've told you last week a couple stories about how HBO had been hacked. Well, here is another story coming out of the hacking. The show Curb Your Enthusiasm with Larry David. No, really? It's supposed to come back to TV in October. But over the weekend, several episodes of Curb Your Enthusiasm leaked Shut online, up. along with a couple of other shows uh, that uh, that they have been trying to keep off of the, out of hackers' hands. Hackers are asking for a two hundred fifty thousand dollar bounty payment offer to keep the rest. All right, of here's my online. here's Go my ahead. take on that. Go ahead. Why are we talking about bombing North Korea? Why aren't we hacking their missile systems? There you go. I mean, we have the power. They well, they're it. bad soap opera television. Yeah, right. I'm not. Right. Sh- I'm not sure we have the. Pro- I'm not sure we're good at. We're good at it. On your radio, on TV, and online, this is the Bill Press Show. What is everybody on a Monday, Monday, August 14th? So good to see you today. Thank you for joining us here on the Bill Press Show. We're coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, and our studio on Capitol Hill. Yeah, we're still here, even if uh, everybody else has uh, flown the coop today. The it's awfully quiet. Oh, it is awfully quiet. Uh, the House and the Senate and the President and the Vice President and uh, most of uh, administration officials all out of town that leaves... Um, at least Washington, D.C., to us and to all of you. We'll bring you up to date on all the news of the day. Uh, and get your comments as well on Twitter at BP Show. Remember, we're coming to you live on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Uh, looking at you on Free Speech TV and, uh, of course, joining you out in the Chicago area on WCPT in Chicago. Yes, indeed, President Trump is eager to say and fond of saying radical Islamic terrorist, so why can't he say white supremacist? We remember when he talked to the CPAC convention just across the river here back in February. He said, again, radical Islamic terrorists, we're going to root them out. We are going to keep radical Islamic terrorists the hell out of our country. Yes, but 
over the weekend when we saw an act of domestic terrorism by neo-Nazis, white supremacists, skinheads down in Charlottesville, Virginia. Donald Trump would not say the words. In fact, he came out with a very mealy mouth saying, oh, the violence, it was coming from all sides. We condemn in the strongest possible terms this egregious display of hatred, bigotry, and violence on many sides. What do you mean, on many sides? And then he repeated it. He said, on many sides. No, no, no. It was not on many sides. Let's face it. We know what was going on. This is the city of Charlottesville who decided it was going to, um, this is the home of Thomas Jefferson, the University of Virginia that he founded right down the hill from Monticello. It's a beautiful city. I've been there several times. Um, A progressive city and a city that decided a couple of years ago it was going to uh, face its tradition and legacy of racism and slavery head on and remove some of the symbols of that, Um, mainly a big statue, by the way, on horseback of General Robert E. Lee, Uh, and that has made target for some time now, a a Charlottesville, rather, a target of uh, of hate groups. And this, uh, what happened over the weekend, was a rally that was called by white supremacists. There's no doubt about this. This is not uh, ugliness or violence coming from many sides. It's a rally that was sponsored by white supremacists, by neo-Nazis. They uh, had a rally Friday night. They're out there, and their chant is blood and soil. Blood and soil, meaning if you got white blood, this American soil is yours. If you don't, you don't belong here. Uh, you certainly don't have the same rights that white people do. Uh, here's their, here's the, the, some sound from, the, from their chant also on Friday night. You will not replace us. You will Stay not replace us. You will not replace us. You will not replace us. I mean, you know, I can't. It's it's impossible to identify with this, right? I mean, these are guys who really feel the white race is threatened, uh, that this is... But, by the way, I don't know why they think this is their soil, right? They weren't the first ones here. No. Right? Their parents weren't the first ones here. No. Their no. parents' parents weren't the first, no. the first ones no. here. No. The white people were not the first ones on, on in, in North America, right? Yeah. So the whole thing is screwed from the from the very, very beginning. Uh, but right now, of course, it is um, hatred of African Americans and any advances that they have made and any rights that they've achieved in this country um, that these neo-Nazis and um, um, white supremacists are out to reverse and to turn back. And that is their avowed aim. And by the way, they make no bones about it. And so they have this rally, the, this uh, this march Friday night uh, and then Saturday uh, another protest, and then counter-protesters show up. Just people who are saying, you know, let's uh, let's live together here. Let's unite together. Uh, this is wrong. This this hatred uh, is wrong. It is not our message. It is not who we are in Charlottesville. Uh, and that's where we saw one of the guys who had been marching the night before, this 20-year-old James Fields from Ohio, in his car, get in his car, plow through a crowd, mowing down people, killing one beautiful young woman, uh, and then backing up when the crowd attacked the car, backing up and mowing down 
I don't know how many more. There's some 30, 34, 35 people injured. One woman, Heather Heyer, was killed, a paralegal, um, and um, he, has, he is in custody today. He'll be uh, arraigned today. And again, with all of that happening, the best Donald Trump can do is this statement about violence coming from many sides. On many sides. No. Wow. No. Wow. Well, we got to say it right away. People reacted to that. And not just Democrats. In fact, I would say, have to say, not even the strongest voices were not Democrats. The strongest voices were Republican senators who said, Jesus, call it what it is, dude. Let's call it, you know, label evil for evil. Among the critics right away of the president's response saying he didn't go near far enough uh, in using the phrase white supremacist and condemning neo-Nazis by name uh, were conservative senators. Orrin Hatch from uh, Utah who said, you know, this is nuts, he said. I'm paraphrasing there, but he did say, my brother didn't die in World War II, fighting world, the Nazis in World War II, to allow these neo-Nazis to rule here in this country today. He said, call evil by its name, uh, Orrin Hatch. Marco Rubio said the president didn't go near far enough. Uh, Corey Gar- um, we'll get to him in just a second. Even Ted Cruz said, these are neo-Nazis, they're skinheads, they're white supremacists, we ought to condemn them as such. Republican conservative uh, Senator Cory Gardner from Colorado saying, come on, call it out. Tell it what, for what it is. I think the president needs to step up today and say what it is and call it for what it is. It's evil, it's white nationalism, it's bigotry, and it's unacceptable. Uh, and if he doesn't do that, then we can continue to answer the question of why. But I believe he has a chance to do that today. Ivanka called this white nationalism. She called it out today. The president needs to do so as well. Uh, it really isn't that hard. It isn't that hard. No. And, you, and of course, so then when the president doesn't say that and the criticism started, then Ivanka Trump puts out a tweet <clears throat> saying, uh, you, might, you can read her Trump exactly, her tweet exactly, but basically she's saying we have to condemn white supremacism in this country. There's no room for white supremacism or neo-Nazis in this country. Here's what she said uh, yesterday, about 24 hours ago. There should be no place in society for racism, white supremacy, and neo-Nazis. We must all come together as Americans and be one country united, all caps. Well, you know Fine, Ivanka, but you know what I say? Who cares what you say? Who cares what you think? She's not the president of the United States. And, and, you know, having his daughter say it is not as the same as having Trump say it. You can't give him a pass. <coughs> like, the, the the idea that Ivanka Trump is now going to be the message of unity after all the things that her father has said, yeah. after the uh, legislation that he's tried to push forward, the Muslim ban... The uh, making it harder for legal immigrants to get here. Like, unity is not a word that I think of when I think of the Trump administration. No, but it's like they're trying to give, they're trying to put out this word as either or, right? Yeah. Either Trump says it or Ivanka says it. So as long as she says it, that's okay. No, it's not. No, it's not. I mean, if you think about the, the tweets of the last week or so, Donald Trump has been harder on Mitch McConnell. Yeah. 
right, than he was on white supremacists. He still, still now, and we're now, what, 72 hours almost after this, right, um, hasn't said, hasn't condemned white supremacists. Uh, it hasn't named them out for being responsible for the violence in Charlottesville. Yesterday, after Ivanka did her little tweet, yesterday the White House did put out a statement saying, well, of course, by condemning violence from all sides, this was, by the way, a statement put out by the White House with nobody's name on it. Okay, it wasn't from Sarah Huckabee Sanders. It wasn't from McMaster. It wasn't, I mean, it was just a White House statement. Nobody's name on it saying that, again, of course, if the president said we condemn violence from many sides, then, of course, of course he includes white supremacists, neo-Nazis, and um, skinheads or whatever. But, first of all, he doesn't say it. Why doesn't he say it? And number two, by lumping them together, right, with everybody else, basically he's giving them a pass. I think you've got to come down to the question, why? Why won't Donald Trump say the word white supremacist? Why didn't he condemn David Duke when he had a chance? Remember back in the campaign? I think we've got that, uh, Jamie, back in, uh, it was uh, February last year, maybe? Yep, on CNN State of the Union. Yeah, CNN State of the Union. Jake Tapper is saying about David Duke, Donald Trump, he could have condemned him right then and there and said, I don't want his endorsement. I don't want anything to do with him. Oh, no, 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 no. Give him a pass. I don't know anything about David Duke, okay? I don't know anything about what you're even talking about with uh, white supremacy or white supremacists. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Did, did he endorse me or what's going on? Oh, no, no. You know what it is? Donald Trump won't condemn the white supremacists because they are his people. Let's That's be it. honest. They are him. They are his people. He knows that they, first of all, he knows he's got one of them right alongside of him with Steve Bannon and Steve Miller, two of them right alongside of him, and he knows he would not be in the White House without them. They're the people that went to his rallies. They're the people who cheered him on uh, when he wants to throw all immigrants out of this country. Uh, They're the people that cheered him on on the Muslim ban. Uh, They're the people that cheer him on when he wants to turn back voting rights for African Americans in this country. They're the ones who cheer him on when he says, let's go back to affirmative action and protect white people and not people of color. They are are his base, and that's why uh, Donald Trump won't criticize him. You just got to be honest. And I thought it was very, very bold of the mayor, um, and right on, the mayor of Charlottesville, uh, Michael Senor. He's been on, uh, by the way, MSNBC and CNN uh, this morning, where he said, first of all, that their efforts, here, here's who they are in Charlottesville. They are, they are a progressive city and, and proud to be so. It is the privilege of a lifetime to be the mayor of a city like this. We're a progressive, tolerant, modern city, but we're also a southern one. And we made a decision about a year and a half ago to, to finally, at long last, tell deliberately the story of race in our city, to tell, to tell the truth. And that, that effort put us on the map. It made us a target for a lot of these forces you've seen, you've seen here. And the mayor said, of course, there's a direct line. He said a direct line between the rhetoric of the Trump campaign and the violence we saw in Charlottesville. You know, there's two 
words that need to be said over and over again, domestic terrorism and white supremacy. That is exactly what we saw on display this weekend, and we just aren't seeing leadership from the White House. We certainly are going to see leadership from cities like Charlottesville, from mayors, from, from leaders all around the country, left and right, Republicans and Democrats, if there's an issue that can unite this country, that this can be a turning point for this democracy. I think it just happened right now this weekend in Charlottesville. You know, now they're saying that, well, maybe Trump will speak about this again today. That's what they're saying. Uh, maybe, maybe, right, right. Yeah, 72 hours afterward is like a little too late. We, we also have a narrative built here, and this gets back to your earlier point, that like Donald Trump's approval ratings are so, so bad, and he has the support of so few Americans in this country now that he really can't afford to turn other people off. You know what I mean? So, like, he's got these scared white men who are going to vote for him, like, you know, that, that, that's sort of his, his red yeah, meat, yeah. and he cannot piss them off. And this goes back to, like, at the very, very beginning of it, like the first month of his administration for World Holocaust Day. Remember oh. when they put out that statement? Yeah, exactly. Same thing. To all of Same. the victims of the Holocaust, never mentioning, you know, the Jewish people for whom the Holocaust was committed against, and then tried to say that, oh, well, the Holocaust included, you know, some Jewish people. There were some gypsies. There were, uh, you know, other people that were included Those in this. It wasn't gays. just. It wasn't just yeah. towards Jews. No, no. So, like, the White House, the very same defense they used then, is the one they're using today. Exactly. Well, in saying all people, of course, you included the Jews. Yes. Yeah. No. No. That's not how it works. No. He didn't. You know what? He didn't say Jews then because he didn't want to alienate the neo Nazis. And he's not saying white supremacists now because he doesn't want to alienate the neo-Nazis. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think this is a real window into who Donald Trump really is. Um, and, um, you know, I'm not calling him a racist. I'm not calling him a white supremacist. But let's face it. I his, am. <laughs> I will. His base is largely made up of these people. But yeah. I mean just think about how silly it is that there's someone in the White House, <laughs> a, a senior advisor, likely Steve Bannon or Stephen Miller, telling Donald Trump, telling the President of the United States, "Don't alienate the white supremacists. They're the most important part of your vote in 2020." Here's how to parse your words and here's how to make this to where you're giving a very clear dog whistle to white supremacists in America. That that is what's happening. Right. That right. is a, that is a hundred percent what's happening. Uh, and New York, there's no accident. No, the no, way no, that they put no. these these things out. Uh, New York Times reports this morning that even though Steve Bannon is not in uh, Bedminster um, with the president this weekend, which by the way that raises another whole yeah. issue, is he may be on the outs right now, is that that Trump, Trump spoke to him twice before he said anything at all. So Bannon Bannon said, hey, no, no, no. You can't say white supremacist because then you're attacking me. You're attacking my buddies. Yeah. You're it's attacking Breitbart. You're attacking my people who are now your people. Uh, and who are now the only people you got left, oh boy. Yeah. By the way, and, and you know, as part of this whole, um, I guess, approach, to the White House, with still with Donald Trump, um, of branding anybody who disagrees with him, not whether they're, by the way, Republicans or Democrats, not just Democrats. Mitch McConnell would be in this camp, and all those Republicans who didn't do what Donald Trump wanted with uh, with Obamacare, is that the White House, 
refers to them as members of the media and members uh, and and Republicans and Democrats, not as opponents or critics, right? But the enemy. They actually put out. Get this. They put out an ad this week. Uh, 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 I, I want you to hear that again. Okay, I'm going to repeat it. The president's re-election campaign. This is 2016. Donald Trump has a re-election campaign already. They have already raised money for his re-election in 2016. And they are already running an ad in 2016, Donald Trump's re-election campaign, about who else? The enemies. Listen to this. I mean, these people are so freaking paranoid. Democrats obstructing, the media attacking our president, career politicians standing in the way of success. But President Trump's plan is working. One million jobs created, more Americans working than ever before, unemployment lowest since 2001, the stock market all-time record highs, the strongest military in decades. The president's enemies don't want him to succeed, but Americans are saying, let President Trump do his job. I'm Donald Trump, and I approve this message. What What are we doing? What the hell is that? Isn't that insane? Insane? I mean, here we are again. Where are we? August 14th, August 2016. And he's already running re-election commercials. By the way, full of lies. And what they really ought to say at the end of all of that is, thank you, Obama. Yeah, right. And to release that on this weekend of all weekends where you go through your enemies. And the title of the ad is, Let President Trump Do His Job. In other words, get out of his way. Right, yeah. And several journalists, uh, images of journalists pictured at the end of that campaign, including April Ryan. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. 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 You can't call for unity or have your daughter call for unity on the same day that you release an ad where you literally compare the media to enemies of the state. Or anybody who disagrees with or you. Or anybody who disagrees with you, for sure. Yeah, sure. Right. Well, uh, we're going to be uh, talking about this uh, throughout the morning, by the way. Um, Emma Roller joins us next from uh, Splinter News. Uh, and then we still have, uh, by the way, that little um, deal of North Korea. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Are we going well? to war, too? Not just here in America? By the way, Donald Trump uh, is supposed to speak at some point. They're saying he might speak today. Uh, mm-hmm. Will he actually use the term white supremacy, white supremacist? That's the question. We have on Twitter today, at BP Show, at BP Show. We have a poll up there where you can vote. Uh, go vote, go vote, go vote. At BP Show on Twitter. Right. Uh, so Jeremy Herb is going to be here from um, from CNN uh, to talk about the threats against Venezuela and North Korea. And then in our last half hour together, Alan Pike and Joshua Eaton from Think Progress, both of whom were in Charlottesville uh, over the weekend, uh, and will bring us their uh, report, their uh, firsthand reports uh, on uh, what they saw down there, what happened, and uh, what we can expect next. On a, um, on a couple of other related issues, boy, I'm telling you, uh, Donald Trump can hear footsteps behind him. If he doesn't, he's not listening, because Robert Mueller that we learned last week, having already opened one grand jury in Alexandria uh, to get some documents that he needed for this investigation. After all this hiring up that he's been doing, Robert Mueller, our special counsel, get some really seasoned prosecutors uh, in his office to look into this possible Russian collusion, collusion between Donald Trump's campaign and the Russians. 
uh, and also possible obstruction of justice. Now he's impaneled a second grand jury here in Washington, D.C., and requested documents. We found out last week that the FBI, under Robert Mueller's direction, uh, had done a pre-dawn raid on the home of Paul Manafort to seize his files and documents. Um, They are also calling in Donald Trump Jr. and um, Paul Manafort to, uh, to give testimony. And the latest news is that Robert Mueller has also uh, asked for several interviews to be held at the White House with White House staffers who may have been involved in this. Um, Number one on that list has got to be Jared Kushner. Yeah. It's not looking so good for Mr. Kushner. Because Roger Stone's not in the White House. Paul Manafort's not in the White House. Donald Trump Jr. not in the White House. Uh, Reince Priebus too. That's right. Reince Priebus, That's right. former White House, right, and um, and certainly Jared Jared Kushner. So that um, the the pace has certainly quickened on the uh, special counsel's uh, investigation. It is definitely not going away. Uh, and finally, Elizabeth Warren over the weekend. Elizabeth Warren was out speaking down at the uh, Netroots Convention yep. uh, in Atlanta. Yeah. Um, giving a very, very um, spirited speech down there where she said, without mentioning Bill Clinton or Hillary Clinton by name, uh, Elizabeth Warren basically said the days of the Democratic Party going to the center and being the party that doesn't believe anything are over. We are the progressive party. Liberals, she said, are the heart and soul of the Democratic Party. That's who we are, and that's how we're going to remain, and that's how we're going to run in 2020. She didn't say, I'm going to be the one who's going to carry the message in 2020. But, uh, but I think it was very, very important. Of course, Bernie Sanders has been, has been uh, uh, articulating and running on that, on that same message uh, that the Democratic Party is a progressive party. The progressive values are those that the American people want, uh, and that's the future of the Democratic Party. More of that, please. I, more of that. And more of I, that from every Democratic politician. Yeah. She said, I mean, again, without mentioning Bill Clinton, she said this quote, the Democratic Party isn't going back to the days of welfare reform and the crime bill, both of which damn, both of which were sellouts by Bill Clinton when he was president of the United States. Yeah. And in fact, some proud progressives quit the Clinton administration over his signing of the welfare reform bill. Look, I, I think that Democrats are finally starting to wake wake up. I mean, you know, we talked about, I think, the inadequacies of, of Hillary Clinton as a national candidate a lot on our show, right? And it wasn't because, you know, oh, we hate Hillary or anything yeah. like that. It's because yeah. centrist Democratic policies have gotten us to this point. They help deliver Donald Trump. When you have this watered-down, mealy-mouthed, trying-to-have-it-both-ways Democratic Party— Yep. This is the inevitable outcome. Yep. You get a Donald Trump as president. Yep. You can't keep watering down Democratic politics and expect to win. Yep. You just can't. Yep. yep. And I hope. And the Trump- faster we admit that is the faster we start like locking in a long-term majority. So question, Tom Perez, Democratic National Chair, are you listening? Chuck Schumer, Democratic Leader, are you listening? Democratic Leader of the Senate, are you listening? Uh, and, you know, if I have a chance, I, I don't know where to get them, but I want to get one of those Temporary tattoos. Yeah, you know, sure. For Elizabeth Warren, they're selling. Nevertheless, she persisted. She just get a real tattoo, Bill. 
Just, just get one of the. Just you got enough, you got enough real estate on your arm. Just a temporary one. What do you got to lose? Come on. But those, those were the words of Mitch McConnell about Elizabeth Warren. We told her not to do this. We told her not to talk on this. Nevertheless, she persisted. I saw a woman with that T-shirt on my flight yesterday. Is that right? There you go. Damn right, she persisted. Yeah. Yeah. Good for her. Emma Roller from Splinter News on Charlottesville and the chaos at the White House and other good stuff. Joining us next on the Bill Press Show. Do you think I ran a campaign where white supremacists had a platform? You're going to look me in the face and tell me that? It did. Killing it really? did. Oh, and that's how you lost. It did. Oh. Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. show new great channel stream live video at youtube.com slash the bill press show all right august 14 on a monday the bill press show great to see you today thank you for joining us as we boom out to you from our studio on capitol hill in washington dc just down the street from the united states capitol building which uh is all shuttered and shut down these days um nobody around except tourists uh, and a few regulars like us. We're coming to you live from Washington and brought to you today by the International Association of Firefighters, those good men and women of the firefighting department. Just down the street from where you live, we all depend on them every day. They're on the front lines every day protecting American families. We salute their great work under President Harold Schaitberger and uh, thank them for their support of the uh, program. This is not a day to be going to New York City. Uh, Donald Trump is returning to New York City and to Trump Tower for the first time since he was uh, sworn in as president of the United States. And you know their protests are going to be wild on Fifth Avenue today. Emma Rollo joins us from Splinter News. Um, you heading to New York? <laughs> Am I heading to New York? Uh I'm I'm good, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm good right here where I am. I get all the, the, the Trump intake I can handle here. Good time to stay away, man. It's going to be. Yeah, for once, D.C., I mean, <laughs> D.C. seems relatively, I, I don't know if normal is the right word or feels like any August recess, which is weird because it's been an insane month. Yeah. You talked to um, Several people, as you said, in who uh, were in uh, Charlottesville. What, what, yeah. uh, what are you hearing? Yes. Yeah, so um, I, I've spoken with some <clears throat> some leftists who I know uh, in D.C. who went down to Charlottesville yesterday. And, you know, the stories that they were telling me are pretty along the lines of what you've been reading in the news. It, it's while it seems like the white supremacists were outnumbered by you know, the counter protesters, uh, one friend estimated three to one was the, mm-hmm. the ratio. Uh, but obviously it, it ended in terrible tragedy. And, you know, it's insane that there were men with long guns walking around looking in wearing camo, looking like National Guardsmen who were, in fact, all these right wing militiamen. Um mm. I don't know if you saw photos of that. That was jarring to me because I did see all this heavy artillery in the streets on, you know, on the shoulders of 
dudes in militia gear, and I thought to myself, "Who the hell is that?" And it, it like it, it I, I didn't realize until somebody pointed out, like, "Is there an open carry in Virginia?" I think so. Yeah, no, there is. Yeah. There is. So these guys were showing up down there with these like giant guns mm-hmm. and providing security to the white supremacists. Security. So security. There, I, I saw providing it, yeah. cover, however you want to put it. But like they were, they were aligned between the. Uh, white supremacist protesters and the the sort of counter protesters. And uh, there was a story on The Root, one of our sister websites at Splinter News, um, about the 20-year-old black man who was beaten with poles in the parking garage, in one of the mm. parking garages mm-hmm. in Charlottesville. There's just an incredibly harrowing photo of four or five alt-right or and or white supremacists just beating this man on the ground uh, and the militia men we were talking about are just kind of standing nearby yeah. with their long guns overseeing it so they're not there, they're to, there to keep the peace they weren't there to quote keep the peace which is what they were saying they were there to protect the white supremacists was there any was there any one organization that sponsored this rally uh there are many rally you mean on the right yeah. um there are many rallies. There's the Traditionalist Workers Party. But I mean, um, in Charlottesville, was there any one oh, group on the ground in Charlottesville? Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure about about that. Um, Seemed to be several groups, and they all came from. Yeah, and Rick, from, Richard Spencer, the most notorious yeah. of the the quote unquote dapper white nationalists, as many magazine profiles. Uh, so the new face of white supremacy. Right. So so complimentarily. <laughs> was, called him. Was he on the scene? He was there. Uh, he got detained. Yeah, um, And then... Um, and I know David Duke was there as well. David Duke was there. In fact, David Duke, by the way, any effort to d- divide or divorce David Duke from or from Donald Trump, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, David Duke, for, for one thing, refuses. I mean, he, he em- embraces... Donald Trump, 100%. Oh, sure. Here, here, here was his comment yesterday. We are determined to take our country back. We're going to fulfill the promises of Donald Trump. That's what we believed in. That's why we voted for Donald Trump, because he said he's going to take our country back. And that's what we got to do. That that that's remarkable. Yeah, that that he says said, everything you need. That says everything you need to he know. Said Donald about Trump what is this our was. Donald Trump is our guy. Yeah. But then people who defend Donald Trump will say, well, he can't prevent. You know David Duke from from saying whatever he's going to say. Well, wait a minute. Here he can def- he can say I don't want David Duke's endorsement. Right. Well, he had an opportunity to do that uh, years with ago, Jake Tapper or, 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 last year. A year ago, yeah, a year ago. Feels like years. Uh, it, it does, <laughs> right? Uh, in February, when he was asked by Jake Tapper mm-hmm. about David Duke, he could have condemned him. He could have said, "I don't want anything to do with him." Well, initially here, he said, he, "So yeah, here so. he is." Yeah. I don't know anything about David Duke, okay? I don't know anything about what you're even talking about with uh, white supremacy or white supremacists. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Did, did he endorse me or what's going on? Yeah. Did he endorse me? What's going on? Great, great statement against the Yes, he did endorse you, and you know it. Um, so you can just say, I don't want his endorsement. He stands, that's a part of America I don't want anything to do with. No, he didn't. You know why? Right? Because they're his people, right? He eventually said, I remember he just said, I disavow, I disavow. <laughs> <laughs> like the most lukewarm. It was just the same as the, his uh, eventual statement about Charlottesville, you know, both, both violence on both sides. It's just 
I like remarkable. I, I, I kind of go back and forth because I say like a lot of people think that Trump is so calculating and he does certain things to um, sort of take the attention away from other things, which I just don't think is true. I just think he's he's a free wheeling, just like puts mm-hmm. everything out there as mm-hmm. soon as it comes into his head. But there is something a little grotesque about the careful nature and carefully worded nature of his statements around Charlottesville because it's really not that hard to shoot down white supremacists and neo-Nazis to just say this: there's no place for this in America. It's, it's also worth commenting on, and other people have, that – you know, he's been able to to fire right off the hip at many, many people with tweets and, and condemn many people personally. But they just happen. We, we to saw be, him fire off yeah. the hip last week from the hip at North Korea. Sure. Right. At Mitch McConnell. Sure, right. I mean, go down the list. Right. Mm-hmm. He, he never has a problem with that. With anybody Out of else. nowhere, he said that we could use military action in Venezuela on Friday. Yeah, right. Like out of, no, out of nowhere. Oh, yeah. He says we can't take military action off the table. So he's completely fine with diplomacy via Twitter. But for some reason, for some reason that, you know, no one can say why when it comes to white supremacists and neo-Nazis, all of a sudden he gets, uh, you know, very, very carefully. Okay, so the White House response is twofold. First, come on. Okay, he didn't say it, but Ivanka said it. So isn't that good enough? That's number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, oh, by saying from many sides, of course that includes white supremacists. Except the Daily Stormer was using those words as tacit endorsement of what they were doing, saying, see, look, yeah. our, our president is condemning Antifa, not us. Yeah. On many sides. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. I mean, neither of those excuses no, they don't. They legitimate. don't hold up to snuff, and no. particularly the one that bothers me is the Ivanka yeah. one. Yeah, who is she? Right, big right. deal. She's his daughter, but what is so her what? official job title? I don't even know. Right, <laughs> official started... sheath dress wearer. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. No, she wasn't elected to anything. Yeah, and the idea that she says it, it worth so worth. And and nothing happened with LGBTQ or climate no. change, the two other issues that she yeah. was. She's going to yes, save us, right. forcefully making statements the, about. Right, being a so-called moderating force. Saint Ivanka, mm-hmm. get out of here. Yeah crazy right feminist uh, hero Ivanka Trump. yeah <laughs> um and is, is it like is, is Charlottesville behind us is every, every by the way I have to say one person I thought had really stepped up uh and and rose to the occasion is uh, Virginia Governor Terry McAuliffe he mm-hmm. was on the scene mm-hmm. his comments were great I loved it he's in fact here here he is I love it. it's a simple message simple we got one simple two words for these guys Terry McAuliffe uh and this was Friday or Saturday, I guess, in Charlottesville. I have a message to all the white supremacists and the Nazis who came into Charlottesville today. Our message is plain and simple. Go home. Yeah. Yeah. Simple as that. I mean, I mean, look, it, it's not that hard. I've said this already a couple of times. It is really not that hard. This is not a brave and courageous stand to make. I mean, I mean, kudos to everybody who made it, mm-hmm. but that is like entry level, guys. And there is a certain respe- uh, responsibility that comes with leading a nation. You know, like Barack Obama, for uh, as lacking as he was on a lot of policy issues, like he got that like 
if you live here in America, you should feel like you are included in the in the big idea, right? Like whoever you are, mm-hmm. right? Like you should you should be included. You should feel like no matter who you are, you can aspire to do great things and be wonderful. And I just don't think that that's even anywhere close to a priority for the Trump administration. Mm-hmm. They don't care. They don't care if people of color feel safe. They don't care if if Jewish people in America feel safe. I mean, for God's sake, there's cemeteries were getting vandalized like once a week after Trump was elected and they didn't say anything about it. Muslim Americans. Muslim Americans. He doesn't, they don't care how you feel. They don't care about how LGBT people feel in, in this country. They just don't care. They don't give a ripe F. And it's just not even something that enters into the equation of being a good president. Mm-hmm. And that's what kind of drives me crazy. Well, to go back to your point, it's 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 not enough for us to just have this president who, it, you know, either tacitly approves of or just, you know, is ignorant of what have you of all these things. There's also he's also been abetted by people within his own party the majority of people within his own party um, and his base and, you know, all of the alt-right supporters who were out there in Charlottesville on Saturday, but also other white people, yeah. white moderates, white liberals, who continue to stay silent on this front because it's scary to, you know, uh, to compromise a little piece of the privilege that you have had for your entire life as a white person and that's something that I struggle with that's something that all the white friends that I have struggle with it's something that white people honestly need to own up to is saying yes I have benefited from this system of institutionalized racism and discrimination in this country and it's on me to not just tweet angrily about Russia but to show up Mm mm-hmm you know, uh, this um, uh, young woman who tragically lost her life, Heather Heyer, I saw last night, and I can't remember exactly, uh, but on CBS, uh, or I th- it was, I'm sorry, ABC News I was watching last night, her last post on Facebook was something like... If you're it, not paying attention... If you're not upset, or, you're not yeah. paying attention, right? right? Something <laughs> like that, yeah. Which I thought, yes, mm-hmm. hello, right, on, on, on the point you were right. just making. Right. And there was a really good um, interview with her mother in Huffington Post where she said, I, you know, I'm proud of her and what she did. It's just heartbreaking. Um, but think about all of the violence that we've seen. I wrote something for Splinter a few months ago. It was after um, the shooting involving uh, Congressman Steve Scalise about how violence is embedded into American culture. That's not an excuse for right. violence, but... You have to take a systemic look about at these things. So what do we know about, and I, I don't know that whether you've had a chance to do any reporting on this, what do we know about um, these neo-Nazi white supremacist groups? I mean, uh, and this whole movement. Um, mm-hmm. How big is it? You know, uh, is, is, is it growing? Right. I think it's, I... <clears throat> it's certainly more visible now than it's been around for a long time, remember, you know, I remember to talk about Skokie, Illinois, was like mm-hmm. when the the, mm-hmm. the neo-Nazis were allowed to march or something, right? Mm-hmm. So there's always been this effort, but it's been really kind of marginal, mm-hmm. right, until it seems now. Well, that was, yeah, that was the whole it. point of this rally was to, quote-unquote, unite the right, unite the white. Um, unite the white, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but 
I think it's kind of hard to estimate exactly how many people are involved in right wing and um, white supremacist movements in this country. The SPLC said I think there's around 900 uh, hate groups mm-hmm. all over the country, and they have a, a map of them. Um, well, in, I'm sorry. The yeah. SPLC, just for those that don't know. Oh, sorry. The Southern Poverty Law Center. Yes. yes. Which is the great organization on these um, terrorist groups and mm-hmm. uh, and white supremacist groups and, and anti-civil rights groups. They've been yeah. a phenomenal And group. calling it, calling it what it is. Yeah, it is exactly. terrorism. What happened on Saturday, mm-hmm. if anyone who was not a white man, I know this is a very cliched point to make, but but if, you know, it was a, it were a Muslim American, if it were a person of color. Oh, God. Can you imagine? Who oh plowed their car into yeah. a crowd of protesters killing one person. And what would everyone be calling it today? And by the way, we are it, 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 immense luck that not more were killed. When you it, when you see the video of that, it's remarkable because there were people bodies were flying all over the place. Right when you it's, forward and backward. Right. Yeah. Um, so the, the chant that they were uh, chanting uh, the night before the, the two of them. One is this one, Jamie. Uh, you will not replace us. Their other chant was... Uh, the rallying cry of scared white boys. Yeah. You music to my not. ears. I mean, what? This level of paranoia there, right? Mm-hmm. You will not replace us. And that, as if any effort to really uh, make the Constitution real, right, so that everybody in this country enjoys basic constitutional mm-hmm. equal rights is somehow taking them away from white people. That's their theory. Right. And their other chant is... Blood and soil, blood and soil, meaning, right, you got white blood, as if all blood, but anyhow. Right. You got white blood, then this soil is yours. And if you don't, you don't belong here. It's it's neo-Nazism. That's what it is. It's neo-Nazi white supremacists. That's, you really don't have to uh, dilute it and be like, well, was it no. this? Was it that? Anyone who was there standing in solidarity with David Duke and Richard Spencer, no matter what they're telling themselves of, oh, I'm just here supporting yeah. the president, blah, blah, blah. It's, they were there showing up for white supremacy. And if they can't own that, then they're deluding themselves. So let's uh, – so uh, Emma Rollers with us here from Splinter News, splinternews.com. Um, let's go um, on the other side of the uh, equation here, political equation. Um, you attended a very interesting convention – Recently in Chicago, yes, of the Democratic Socialists. Yes, it's. it's I, I didn't know there was a Democrat. I mean, I know Bernie Sanders is a Democratic Socialist, but who are the Democratic Socialists? How many are there, and what was this all about? Sure. So I felt I feel like I've had political whiplash over the past couple of weeks um, <laughs> because I attended this conference or convention for Democratic Socialists of America, which they are not a political party. Um, they identify themselves more as a movement con- trying to continue on Bernie Sanders' message from the election. And Did they exist before Bernie Sanders ran? They did, but they had very small membership. Um, and they've seen an explosive growth since Bernie Sanders ran um, his campaign. And especially after the election, they say they had, you know, the DSA baby boom was November mm-hmm. 8th. Many people joined because... They saw the election results uh, and simply said, you know, 
the current paradigm is not working anymore. We have to try something new. Uh, so democratic socialists, um, just to explain a little bit about who they are, they they do believe in socialism. They they identify as socialists proudly, which I know would maybe like set some Fox News host hair on fire. Um, but they are also, you know, open to working with progressive Democrats. They they don't necessarily want to form, you know, only have their own politicians run, although there have been DSA <coughs> candidates at the local level who have run and won. Um, they're, the mayor of Birmingham, Alabama, is actually a DSA member. There's Really? Mm-hmm. Whoa. Yeah. Lumumba, um, I forget his last name, but he was elected, I think, this past spring. And DSA- How did that happen? <laughs> Yeah, right. Was, and apparently, they're doing a great job. Sleeping the switch in Birmingham. Yeah, right. Well, they did the right thing. I mean, Birmingham. Yeah, but um, and you know, there's there are DSA members running for local office in for city council in in cities like Chicago and Seattle and New York, and you know, a lot of it is still very city centered, yeah, and and yeah, the the yeah. center of DSA membership is still New York City, um, but there have been many rural chapters that have sprung up over the past year and and continue to be opening up. Um, Like I said, many D.C. DSA members went down to Charlottesville over the weekend to protest. You may have seen some red flags um, of DSA's flags. And how about the Chicago presence for... uh is there a big DSA? The conference was in Chicago, right. right? The conference was in Chicago, but it was more of a national convention. Um, Did you see any? I, I, I'm just wondering, you know, with our good friends at the VCPT, whether there's a big DSA presence in Chicago. I, I didn't get to talk to many people in Chicago. I, I have a feeling, or it seems like there's a pretty strong presence in Chicago, but yeah. maybe not as much as the East Coast um, or the or like L.A. Those are both big bastions. I mean, Chicago is a yeah. great progressive base. I mean, oh, look sure. At the people. I'm from Milwaukee. We, we, yeah. Yeah. we had a string of sewer socialist mayors in the at the turn of the century. Um, but the gathering in Chicago was really interesting to see because it's not. it wasn't like the DNC or the RNC where it's mostly pageantry and people yeah. giving speeches. Yeah. Yeah. It was actually people like proposing resolutions and voting on them. And probably the most dramatic moment of the weekend was the vote on uh, the BDS movement uh, boycott divest sanction um, to protest Israel uh, in favor of Palestinian human rights uh, and they passed a res- resolution basically supporting BDS which you know led to a few members um, saying that they would leave the organization which is interesting but then I talked to other young members who were saying I'm really glad we passed this resolution because if we had rejected it, then it's sort of like, why am I even in this organization to begin with? The whole point is to not be the Democratic Uh, Party. A copy of the Democratic Party. Exactly. Right. Is Bernie Sanders a member of DSA? I don't I don't believe so. But who knows? Maybe he is. Well, he's at the present time. He is not a Democrat. He's an independent again. He's an independent again. Right. It is so funny to me how two years ago, if you identified yourself as any form of socialist how quickly someone would be able to turn that around you know well yeah bernie sanders has pretty much single-handedly not normalized but made it much more acceptable to yeah outspokenly identify as yeah. a socialist now who knows what would have happened in the general campaign but it was interesting we talked about this a lot last year mm-hmm. that this socialist label which everybody thought would destroy bernie from the beginning right 
it basically was not a factor at all in the primary. I mean, Hillary didn't attack him as a socialist. Uh, most people didn't. I mean, they just, I, of course, yeah. he, he did, had become a Democrat, but he still called himself a Democratic Socialist. Yeah. And, and people were talking about his issues that he was espousing, and that's what he said. Right. Here's what it means to be a Democratic Socialist, right? We're talking about single payer. We're talking about free college it's, tuition right. for all. We're it's talking you, about a minimum wage of 15 bucks. He went down the list of issues. That's who I am. Right. And if he were not so clear about that message, it, I think it would have been easier to red bait him and, right. and say, you know, oh, he wants, you know, full communism and he's a Stalinist, yeah. blah, right. blah, blah. Right. But he was very clear. This yeah. is working class values. Hey, and it's so great to see you. Thanks so much for coming in. Right. You Hope too. you're having a good yeah. summer. Emma Roller at Splinter News. It's splinternews.com. Where do we go to war first, Venezuela or North Korea? Jeremy Herb is going to tell us next from CNN. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Oh, yeah, he can say radical Islamic terrorist, but he can't say white supremacist. There's just something about Donald Trump. Can't get those words out. What do you say? Hello, everybody. Great to see you on a Monday, Monday, August 14. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you for joining us, wherever you happen to be in this great land of ours. Uh, we are glad to see you on a Monday. I want to uh, look forward to bringing you up to date on all the news of the day. We're coming to you live from Washington, D.C., this ghost town called Washington, D.C. Nobody cares about us anymore. They all fled town. Although Donald Trump is coming back here today just for a couple of events, and then he's going up to Trump Tower uh, in New York, uh, the Golden Palace of uh, Trump Tower, which he hasn't seen since. Uh, boy, he may get there and say, this, this is so much better than that dump called the White House, and I'm just going to stay right here. Uh, who knows? Anyhow, we'll bring you up to date on all the news of the day and look forward to hearing from you. Um, we've been talking a lot about Charlottesville, uh, which almost has eclipsed um, the, the, the feelings that we had last week of fear that we might be at war in North Korea uh, any, any, at any moment uh, added to uh, a threat of military action against Venezuela, which we heard from the president on Friday. Jeremy Herb covers national security issues for uh, CNN and joins us in the studio. Hi, Jeremy. How you doing? Always good to see you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming in. we got lots to talk about, and we'll get right to it and hear from you. But first... This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. Now, we've talked a lot about Charlottesville. One thing that's just beginning to happen, all of the photos of the protesters that were in Charlottesville, we're starting to find out who some of them were. Now, the East Bay Times 
has a story about one man by the name of Cole White, who was fired from his job at a hot dog restaurant. He Cole sh- White. Oh, Cole White is this man's name. NASCAR driver or white supremacist <laughs> is the new game we're playing. He changed his name. <laughs> yeah. Well, so he works at a hot dog restaurant called Top Dog, and they saw his photo out there protesting, oh. and they said, you, sir, are fired. And this is starting to happen. More and more people are being identified, but that's just the first story. So, look. Actions have consequences. You want to go out there, you want to put your name out there, and you want yeah, to put your face out there in front of this dumbass cause? Idiots. Do not be surprised. I love this guy. I mean, I love, but this James Field, the driver, the killer, um, who's going to be arraigned today. And his mother said, Oh, I knew he was going to drive. To, I was driving to some from, you know, to take part in some protest. I didn't know it was a white supremacist protest. He's not a white supremacist. He has, after all, he has an African American friend. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure. Oh, Um, God. In other news, yesterday the Pope has turned his message against horoscopes. (laughs) I'm dead serious. He actually gave a speech. He said, uh, uh, or in uh, one of his messages, he says, quote, When we do not cling to the word of the Lord but consult horoscopes and fortune tellers, we begin to sink. So no fortune tellers. And no horoscopes. I'm not a horoscope guy. I don't really have much of a relationship with astrology. But if you do and you read your horoscope every day, you could be siding with the devil. Uh, I'd rather follow a horoscope than that nutty preacher last week who said that uh, Romans 12 gives, Romans 13 gives Donald (coughs) Trump the authority to bomb the hell out of North Korea. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And assassinate. That's right. It's all right there. I'd be much happier if our president was a religious astrologist. (laughs) That's it. Praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. And it's Monday, so let's take a look back at the weekend box office. Number one in America is... Detroit. Not Detroit. No, I'm sorry. Detroit, not even in the top ten. Number one is Annabelle, Creation. I don't know what that is. It's a horror movie, apparently. It's not for me. Uh, Number two is Dunkirk. And number three is the nut job too nutty by nature. Sure. And why not? Have a ball. Happy August. <laughs> um, yeah. Still not a big fan of Dunkirk. Here we go. There, I know. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> on your radio, on TV, and online. This is the Bill Press Show. Monday, Monday, August 14. Hello, 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 everybody. Great to see you. Thank you for joining us. Here on the Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital and our studio on Capitol Hill. Everybody else can flee Washington, but we are here uh, keeping the news going and keeping you up to date on what's happening, whether it's here in Bedminster, New Jersey, Charlottesville, Virginia, Around the country, around the globe, we'll tell you what's going on and look forward to hearing from you as to what it all means to you. Give us, send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. We're joining you on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Catch us there or on Free Speech TV, all part of DirecTV. Uh, and also in w- on WCPT, the progressive voice of Chicago. We are with you in Chicagoland, loud and strong. And don't forget, check out our podcast uh, anytime during the day. You can always go to BillPressShow.com and uh, catch up with any part of the show you might have missed or the entire show. 
Uh, and uh, as we uh, mentioned, Jeremy Herb from CNN joins us to talk about he's national security reporter there, talking about some of the issues. Um, let's <clears throat> pardon me. Let's not forget while we're talking so much about Charlottesville that we still have this um, looming nuclear threat or threat of military action against North Korea, fire and fury, such as the world has never seen. And now we also have the threat of military action against Venezuela. Let's start with... Hi, Jeremy. Nice to see you. Let's start with North Korea. Sure. We kind of get mixed messages, too, from the administration. You know, Rex Tillerson says, everybody should get a good night's sleep. There's nothing to worry about. And then Donald Trump says, you know, watch out. Here we come. What's 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 going on? I mean, for me, I look at what's the military doing. What what is the uh, the military action here? Um, and so far, it hasn't been much. Uh, General Dunford, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, is actually in South Korea right now, and he's also talking about the fact that you know, yes, we have military options if we need them, but no, we're not planning to use them. Uh, you heard CIA Director Mike Pompeo yesterday saying the threat of nuclear war is not imminent. Um, and you had the South Korean defense officials, and I think this may be the most important point. Their uh, defense officials were saying today that North Korea does not yet have the technology for the missile to re-enter the atmosphere, which is still one of those key steps they would need to actually use an ICBM as a nuclear weapon. Yeah, yeah. but they're almost there. I mean, right, CBS reported that last week, too, not to take anything away from CNN, that they've got the missile, they've got a, a bomb small enough to put in the cone, but they don't have the te- the, the, the cone technology to make sure the cone can re-enter the atmosphere, right. and maybe not the navigational system necessary to pinpoint a target, correct? Yeah, that's so right. So what, that's another year? It could be a At year, the rate it could be going? two. I mean, we don't know. The, the significant development from last week was the miniaturization, and that is significant, um, yeah. and it's, a, yeah. it's ahead of what we had been hearing from the intelligence community. Um, in terms of the progress. And it's clear, I mean, and <clears throat> officials in the Obama administration, now the Trump administration have said this, it's clear that they're marching forward and it's, you know, they're, they're showing no signs of slowing or stopping or having any interest in stopping. And that's... They, actually, they actually have have advanced a lot faster than we believe that they could. They have. If you remember, in the past couple of years, they had failed tests, you yeah. know, missiles yeah. would blow up as they launched. And now their tests, you know, their, their missiles are launching into the water. Um, you know, they're showing these technological advantages like the miniaturization. So it's definitely marching forward. And Now, um, two things. One, you, you mentioned nuclear, the nuclear threat, threat of nuclear war. Um, I think that doesn't bother, bother me so much or concern me so much as the threat of a conventional war. I mean, just cruise missiles. I mean, that would be... We don't have to drop a nuclear bomb on them, right? Or, right? That's just, correct. Even cruise missiles could trigger catastrophic it response. It would be a very bloody war. And you've, you've heard that from you know, Defense Secretary Jim Mattis and others have said this would be a very ugly war. Um, you know, the North Koreans have I don't know how many number of missiles you know, that are right now just you said short-range conventional missiles yeah. launch at Seoul, at other cities. Right. And that's the problem is that if the U.S. tried to launch some kind of non-nuclear strike to stop North Korea's missile program is that's how Pyongyang would respond. It would be to launch probably as much firepower as they could into South Korea. And we have thousands of troops there in addition to, you know, the millions of civilians who are there. Yesterday uh, evening on ABC News, Martha Raddatz, who's one of the best reporters, I think, in the world, uh, incredible, 
uh, does an incredible job. She's she's in Korea, and she drove that thirty miles from Seoul up to the DMZ. Right, it's it's next door. Exactly. Yeah, from here to Bowie, right, or something. I don't know, but and um, and and it showed photos of these of these tanks and everything, mm-hmm. or these missile launchers, right right across the line. Yeah. You can see them that are all right there, and they're all aimed at Seoul. Yeah, I mean, boom, like that. And it's they don't have to roll them in. They wouldn't take them any. They're there. They're there. They're poised. They're targeted. They're boom. And that's why there's not really a good solution here. And that's why North Korea's missile program, nuclear program, has advanced the way it has, is that, you know, for successive administrations now have never had a good option beyond trying to get China to, you know, rein in North Korea. And, you know, there were new sanctions that were passed, I think it was last week, in the United Nations, which is, it's progress. It's a good sign. Um, And China is actually announcing they're going to, start a couple of those this week but long term you know unless Kim Jong-un is willing to give up his nuclear program there's not you know a lot short of a very ugly war that you can really do to to stop that program from progressing okay so here's my question aren't we fighting the the wrong war and aren't we fighting like the last war instead of the war we should be fighting meaning why are we talking about conventional weapons or even nuclear weapons why Russians hacked us, the North, the Chinese have hacked us. Why aren't we infiltrating cybersecurity against North Korea to, to take out their weapons system? It's, it's a fair bet to say that, that that is something that the military is looking at. And it, perhaps there have been suggestions that, what you know, some we... of those failed tests that we heard a couple of years ago, you know, there could have perhaps the U.S. played a role. We obviously Stuxnet, you know. There put were, back Iran's nuclear program. Yeah, I was going, we did it in Iran, right? We had that worm that got in there, and and so can't we use it against well, North Korea? And, and just because we haven't heard about it publicly doesn't mean that's happening. But well, you know, our intelligence... The test, there were a f- couple of failed tests, yeah, and we thought, were. well, maybe we screwed, really screwed the pooch here. But now these latest missile tests have been pretty successful. Yeah, keep in mind, too, that the intelligence agencies reach mm-hmm. into North Korea is is not as good as elsewhere in the world. It's it, in, you know, in Iran and in other kind of countries we were trying to keep an eye on. You know, it's it's a very, you know, that's a difficult proposition in and of itself. And with with Stuxnet, the reporting was that, you know, literally we had someone who inserted a, um, a, a drive to help make that happen. And I think that inside of Iran. Correct. And yeah. that was the reporting from from David Sanger. And I think but isn't That's North Korea doing, uh, doing cybersecurity sure. against us? They, they have launched attacks. It was, I'm blanking on the name of the movie company, but uh, so Sony, I believe, right? So it was Sony, yeah. 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 Um, you know, that happened a couple of years and back. Not, not, God, not even from that. inside of North Korea, I think. I, I, I heard somewhere they were doing it from, I don't know where else. That they could have had yeah. some people stationed. I, I think it's safe to say that the, the idea of, of using the cyber weapons to stop North Korea is is something that's being looked at how successful we I are I hope so I mean it, it's something it, this, it's one of those things you you don't talk about well it, it's one of those things you don't talk about because you know it's an active sort of thing and you know we learned about Stuxnet after the fact after they had already succeeded at, at setting back Iran's nuclear program yeah I mean that's what I would like to see it's just you know the they brag about this and they say you just watch here it comes and they go to light the fuse and then it goes just fizzles yeah Right, and and then we laugh. <laughs> In a perfect world, yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, uh, so, have things cooled down, or is it just that 
we're talking about Charlottesville now, and not. Is there any effort on the part of the White House to tell the president, "Let's just cool our jets here a little bit"? And I don't know about telling the president, but you have heard from top national security officials that yes, you know, we're not. You know, <laughs> Mike Pompeo yesterday, the CIA director. You know, there this talk of an imminent nuclear war. I don't know. That's not what that's about. There's that's not on the table. Um, Mattis and Tillerson just put out a joint op-ed where they, you know, said they're going to be strong, but also, you know, they're not. You know, the military is not moving into the Korean Peninsula being ready to strike. There's no yeah. movements that would suggest anything is imminent. Um, you know, it, obviously the rhetoric was very heated last week, but I think it was at this point just that and rhetoric. And is there any serious effort toward talks? There's a desire, but I think China is, is going to have to be the one that plays the role there. That, that, that is the key. brings people to the table? Right. And that's it's still a difficult prospect. And, you know, we've heard Trump go kind of back and forth. Well, you know, are the Chinese going to help us? And yes, they are. Oh, wait, no, they're not. We've run out of time with them. Um, I think it still remains to be seen. And I also think it's it's in defense of China. There's only so much they can do, I think, to constrain Pyongyang. I think that, um, you know, it's at the base of it. Kim Jong Un sees the nuclear weapons program as his kind of safety mechanism. He saw what happened to Saddam Hussein. He saw what happened to Gaddafi. And mm-hmm. when they didn't have mm-hmm. that program, mm-hmm. you know, they were taken out of power. And so I think he sees as long as he has his nuclear weapons, he is to a certain degree safe. Did we uh, did, did we miss the boat here under Barack Obama? Did we miss something with North Korea? I mean, this has been something that they've been threatening for a while, and Barack Obama never really did anything about it. I'm, not, I, I'm genuinely just asking. Like, I don't really know what the what we could have done compared to threatening well, war like Trump has done. I think there's an argument to be made, but not just Obama, but Bush, Bush. and Clinton sure, sure, before. Sure, sure, and, you know, sure. But once but, they had their weapons program, which I believe was the first term of the Bush administration, if I remember yeah, correctly, yeah. that sort of, that was, I think, a game changer in terms of what you could do to get them to stop and, and curb the program. Well, there were talks under Bill Clinton, and they mm-hmm. did have an agreement. Mm-hmm. They reached an agreement with North Korea under under President Clinton, saying that they were going to uh, denuclearize or whatever. And then they reneged on the deal. So, um, got got to give. But as since then, nothing has happened. Certainly, under under eight years of George W. Bush or eight years of, of Barack Obama, even though both of them said nuclear uh, North Korea is not going to become a nuclear power under our watch. Well, guess what? Yeah. Now they are. It, it tells you how difficult it is. But you heard the Obama right. administration talked about strategic patience. And what we're now hearing from multiple Trump administration officials is that era is over. Right. OK. So what does I, I think we have to accept the fact that North Korea is now a nuclear power. That's uh, James Clapper yesterday uh, on, on State of the Union said said that that there's not really a method to get them to give up their okay. nuclear weapons. But maybe there's a method to get them to restrain. Right. Or to, OK. Uh, what do they want? I mean, like we get to the table, uh, they're not going to do that without getting something, right? I mean, yeah. it, uh, what do we hear? There's this defense missile defense system in South Korea, right? Yeah. That they don't want. Uh, there are all these military exercises that we do with South Korea, which you know, which they're not happy about. I mean, it, so uh, are there things that we can give them, right? That in return for um, uh, cooling of their jets. Yeah, I mean, we can ease sanctions, and you know, the military ease sanctions, yeah, of course. The military yeah. exercises are a big yeah. uh, irritant for for North Korea. Whenever we do, we, usually the the missile tests in the past were often prompted by 
you know, oh, what's happening? The U.S. and South Korea are holding drills. Well, there goes a North Korean missile test. Yeah. Um, yeah so that would right. be something, you know, the THAAD missile battery that we've now put into uh, into Seoul um, is something, although I think that's also a, a Chinese have a very big problem with that as well. They see mm. it as an aggression, which the U.S. military insists it's this not. This is a mini kind of Star Wars thing? Yeah, this, so this is, it, it will stop medium-range missiles. It's not going to knock down an ICBM, right. but, you know, if there was a medium-range missile shot at Japan or at South Korea, you know, this theoretically would be able to hit it and knock it down. That missile defense system? Yes, I'm not so, going to remember what the acronym is. But okay, yes. so there's that, and there's uh, sanctions, right? And you say the military exercises, mm -hmm. too. And the military exercises don't serve any real purpose, do they? Well, they prepare. I mean, the, the military says they do in the sense that that makes them ready to, you know, when it's for real, they're ready to go. They've done that. You know, they've trained. That That's a, a kind of a key thing for the military. I think that's I, they're so far. The U.S. has said they do not have any intention of, of curbing those as, as a condition for talks. Right. Um, but again, there are no certainly no talks scheduled and no call for talks and... No, there have been some, you know, there is reports about a back channel that, you know, there have been some discussions we saw with with, uh, with the American who was brought back. Um, but, yeah, at this point, I don't think talks are, are imminent. Mm -hmm. How about um, state dinner, you know, White House visit? <laughs> Just chocolate cake? Yeah. We know that we've solved crises before with a chocolate cake. Or more important than a White House dinner, dinner at Mar-a-Lago. Yeah, yeah, sure. We could always send Dennis Rodman there. Well, yeah, but you know what? Kim Jong Un's ego is such that he might really get his rocks off on a White House dinner. You, you might want to make that suggestion. You know, <laughs> yeah, not going to come. That back. would be great. Yeah, that would be just perfect. I listen. I would pay for that. Oh just my to god, see the two of them together. Mm -hmm. They really are Compare, perfect for each other. They're, they they're one and the same person. Feels yeah. like it. Yeah, I mean, starting with the hair, <laughs> and starting with the daddy complex. Yeah. <laughs> You can go on and on from that. All right. So if we're not at war in North Korea, maybe we're going to be at war in Venezuela. Where did that come from Friday all of a sudden? You know, I think we would have heard a lot more about it over the weekend had Charlottesville not happened. Yeah. Um, it yeah. sort of it yeah. came out Friday evening. Um, Trump was speaking. I mean, like off the wall, right? It, it, it did kind of seem to come out of left field. But he basically said no, no options are off the table. And then was asked, does that mean military options? He said, you know, yeah, effectively, like that's not off the table. Um, you know, it's it's not it's not a good situation here. Um, you know, in Venezuela, what's going on? Uh, you know, the president Nicolas Maduro yeah. kind of is consolidating power, and it's you know potentially on the path to a dictatorship. I think he's already there. I mean, this yeah. latest vote yeah. that they had, mm -hmm. and, and the, uh, now he's got all his yes people in yeah. as, as part of his assembly or national assembly or whatever it is. Yeah, no, it, it's a dictatorship, and he's destroying the economy of the country. Um, but why is that a military threat to the United States? Well, that that's a point that I think has not been made. Uh, it's it's interesting. He the president really put his vice president in an awkward situation because he, Pence is in. Pence is there. He went. He had a yeah. South American yeah. trip all lined up for for Sunday. Now he's in Colombia, um, and we heard last night that <laughs> he um, basically he said yeah he he backed up Trump. He defended Trump and said yes we're considering all options, but. The Colombian president standing next to Pence said, I've told them you need to rule that out. You should not have military action on the table. So it's uh, it's certainly an awkward situation for Pence, I believe, I think right now. But, I, I, you know, again, I'm just trying to the logic of it is defy. Well, defies logic. Right. I mean, OK, so you don't like the government of name it. Right. Panama or 
or Uruguay or whatever, right, or Peru. It doesn't mean that they're that they are a threat to the United States or that we have the right to go in and bomb them for what, right? Well, we heard even from even from Republican senators. We heard Lindsey Graham, who is you know among the most hawkish members of the yeah, Senate, right. said. I don't see why we would do this. I don't see the, see a reason for this. They're not threatening the security of the U.S. And, you know, I think you have – there is an ability and I think a kind of a sense in the last 16 years, the war on terror, that, you know, we can use – the president can use the military, you know, as he sees fit. Uh, there'd be a hard case to make Venezuela that without getting some kind of congressional approval, I think, to, to say that the security of the U.S. is threatened. Um, the military also said, yes – we're, re- we're always ready. We, of course, we have plans. They probably have contingency plans for invading Canada. Um, but, you know, again, we haven't seen anything to suggest we're moving in all, at all in that direction. But there was a time, of course, when what we would do in a situation like that is send the CIA in to mm-hmm. assassinate the foreign leader, which we did in, um, uh-huh. in not, not, maybe in Venezuela. I, I, I know you, you're correct. I don't remember the specifics. Chile in yeah. Chile, yeah. Well, right. and keep, and that's part of the reason that the well, Venezuela I think reacted. We've got the way that they did. behind us yeah. now. I would hope, right? But yeah. and Colombia too. There's a reason that the you know Colombia is saying you need to take this off the table. Yeah, that, because that history is still the, in the back of the mind. I think of a there's lot of a history Latin American in countries. Nicaragua. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and in Chile, and I'm I'm blanking on yeah. But they're not the only two countries where we that okay. So um, those trouble there was a trouble spots North Korea, Venezuela. But one thing that we are, we can all breathe a sigh of relief in is that the Middle East will soon be no longer a trouble spot because President Trump has sent Jared Kushner to the Middle East uh, to get the parties together and to strike a peace deal. Right. It's good why, does, why does he – I mean, seriously, is he, can he really believe he's going to succeed where nobody else has been able to – John Kerry tried this, right? And how many other people? Bill have? Clinton was probably closest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, I don't know. I'm Henry Kissinger. You name it. Yeah, I'm, I'm very curious to see what what if anything comes out of this. Um, I think expectations are low. To be fair, um, and I'm sure I have a feeling Jared Kushner feels the same way. But I mean, is there is at this point is there harm in, in sending him there? Probably not. Uh, you know, I think right well, now the harm is uh, no. There's no harm, but to me, the harm is in raising expectations, right? That where seasoned diplomats haven't been able to do it, uh, that this kid is going to be able yeah. to. Number one, but number two, also it it's based on the supposition that um, Bibi Netanyahu wants a peace deal, wants a two-state solution. He may give lip service to it, but he's had. How long has he been there? He's had many, many opportunities to to, to sit down. If this is some, something he really wanted, he wouldn't continue. Be, he wouldn't continue building settlements, and he wouldn't continue thwarting any effort to get the parties together. Yeah, I mean, again, this is what, all the reasons why expectations, I think, are very low that, that there's going to be progress made. It's, you know, it's it's a the, the tensions there are high. You know, I think any sort of, you know coming together of the two sides right now I think is pretty is low and so you know you never never say never but yeah it's not it's not a, a good time to be trying to to get this going well so then the other um, uh, plan that they were hatching trying to hatch I guess they're talking about it was they were going to get all the Arab states together right to put pressure on the Palestinian Authority 
and all to, all the Arab states together to accept the existence of Israel, which I mean the fact that they haven't for all this all this time is sort of ridiculous. Um, get and deal with the reality here, guys. Uh, but to get them all together to do that and put pressure on the Palestinian Authority to sit down, and that was going to be the, the secret resolution. And then we end up in this pissing contest with Qatar. Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, the, the Arab states right now are not oh, in a that. mood to come oh, together. There's yeah. yeah, there's not to mention Syria, Afghanistan, Iraq, and all the other problems of the Middle East. Right. Uh, yeah. But yeah, the, the Qatar issue, um, you know, is still not solved. It's not clear that it's going to be. You have, you know, Egypt, the UAE, Saudi Arabia is kind of leading it. Um, and Bahrain are all boycotting Qatar. And mm-hmm. it's a dispute that kind of is over terrorism, but it, it definitely, it's something that goes back, I think, further than that. And we've seen really very little movement. And you sent, you know, Secretary Tillerson was over there and others have kind of tried to, to get that going. And so far we haven't seen them come any closer. Uh, are we sending more troops to Afghanistan? That is a very good question that we don't have the answer to yet. Uh, that's been an issue that's been on the president's desk in, in, in some form or another. It's been a discussion of, in the White House for months now. And we have been hearing an Afghanistan plan is coming this week and then it's coming next week. And, you know, Secretary Mattis said to Senator John McCain, it's going to come in mid-July. And we still, we're now in mid-August, there's still no plan because Trump is very divided and his White House is divided over what to do in Afghanistan. Is it, uh, is the, is the split over how many troops to send or whether to send any more at all or 30,000 or whatever they're talking it's, about? It's more, it's over whether there should be any more sent at all. You know, you have a plan from H.R. McMaster, National Security Advisor, to send a few thousand more to help try and turn the tide against the Taliban there. But then you have kind of the Steve Bannon wing of the White House is saying, well, why are we doing this? We've been in Afghanistan for 16 years. How is this going to be any different? And what's the exit strategy? And Trump is kind of caught between those two and he's gone back and forth and as of now you know there have been a, a couple hundred we there were some marines that went in um for security and some other things but it's sort of just the the 8400 or so we have there until they they decide and the fighting season um the afghanistan kind of works in fighting seasons is i mean effectively at this point this year is done so it's looking at what we're going to do for next year um so they sort of take time out for, for they, the- it's, for it's, the fall, that's kind of nice. Yeah, it, and it's it's happened less now than it did uh, in sort of the early years of the okay, war. Okay, we'll take a break. We're going to close for <laughs> like, the re- like the restaurants in Paris. We're going to close for August. We'll yeah. be back in September yeah. and have a nice summer, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> it's more of the we- a weather and a mountains and a terrain thing than anything else. But it's inter- it's interesting. There, the fighting yeah. season is is something um, you hear about every year when it's starting and all of that in Afghanistan. And what's going on in Syria? Yeah, it's it's just amazing to me that. We, these things preoccupy us full time, twenty four seven, and then they go away or they disappear, and we never talk about them again. I mean, no, I mean North Korea has sort of taken the yeah. you know the emphasis off of Syria and off of you know what's happening with Russia, you know, and how are we any closer? You know, we are. I still the Raqqa campaign is continuing. You know, for, forces are are kind of. Consult, isolating ISIS, and we could soon see, you know, the fall of Raqqa. We haven't taken Raqqa yet, but but, it, but they're making progress there. That's, there, yeah, right. and, and that's ongoing campaign. It is an ongoing campaign, and when that happens, you know, the, the kind of future of ISIS will—they're um, not going to go away. They're going to no. sort of move somewhere else and shift tactics. And they all already of have. I mean, yeah, absolutely. They've moved to Libya. Yeah. They've moved to mm-hmm. Tunisia, wherever. Somalia, yeah, yeah all over. Um, but it will be significant, you know, if and when Raqqa falls. 
um, to see kind of what happens both with ISIS, but also what happens then in Syria, because the U.S. Job, mission in Syria is to fight ISIS. And right. when that is done, what happens? Do U.S. troops stay there? Do they help the, the uh, rebels fight then Assad? And it's a whole host of very tricky, difficult questions that are going to come up. Uh, at that point, probably we'll have to face that question and answer it. Do we still want to, is our mission still to get rid of Assad, which of course we heard all through the Obama years, that was our mission to, uh, right, to, to topple him. And then we moved away from that now to focus on, on ISIS. And uh, meanwhile, Assad probably gets stronger and stronger. Yeah. I mean, it's, and you know, that, that question is made mostly complicated by the fact that Russia, of course, is supporting Assad. And so we will get into the whole, you know, where's right. the U.S.? And there's still talk about, you know, can the U.S. work with Russia and Syria? Um, but, you know, I think after Raqqa is going to be really where that question comes to the forefront and we see, you know, what is the Trump administration's plan for Syria? So we've covered all the hotspots of the world today, I think, huh? We got think North so. Korea, we got Venezuela, we got Syria, we've got, uh, you know, um, uh, the Middle East and Afghanistan. See what pops up Do this week. Do we miss week. anything? I'm not sure. But anyhow, we, we got as much as we could in the time allotted. Jeremy, thanks so much. Great Thank to you. see you. And of course, CNN.com, you know where it is. And that's where you find Jeremy and all of our good friends over there. Back from Charlottesville, from Think Progress, Alan Pike and Joshua Eaton both bring us up to date on uh, their experiences down there. Coming up next on The Bill Press Show. Lots of good things could happen, and we could also have a bad solution. But we think lots of good things can happen. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is The Bill Press Show. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. On a Monday, August 14, hello, everybody. Great to see you today. Thank you for joining us. The Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital. And our studio on Capitol Hill, uh, usually we say the heart of the action, but um, not much action in Washington these days. The action uh, has either been up in Bedminster, New Jersey, um, or in Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, We've got it covered, however, uh, from our perch here in Washington, where we're brought to you today by the American Federation of Government Employees, those good men and women of the AFGE under President J. David Cox, who keep our federal agencies running day in and day out. They get up every morning, proud to work for uh, America and serve Americans. We salute them, thank them for their support of the program. Speaking of Charlottesville, back from Charlottesville, down there covering... uh, uh, the uh, riot uh, and the response for Think Progress. Alan Pike, Deputy Economic Editor, uh, frequent guest of the program. Good Hello, to see you Alan. again, Bill. Joined by Joshua Eaton, investigative reporter for Think Progress. Thank you for having me. Have you been in the studio before? I've not, no. All right. Don't right. screw it up. <laughs> I'm just kidding, man. It's, it's like it's <laughs> Pressure's on. Yeah. So why'd you go down there? What'd you see? We went down on Friday night. Joshua got down there uh, in time for the torch rally uh, at the University of Virginia campus. But we we made it a priority mostly because this was billed in the advance as the largest white supremacist rally of its kind in decades, if not longer. Was it? Uh, it, it I haven't been at all the other white supremacist rallies <laughs> that I've had in America in decades, but but it did seem awfully large. There were there were uh, well over a thousand people and, in the square on Saturday. And 
in uh, in the uh, alt-right uh, white nationalist media, this is also billed as a, sort of a turning point mm. for their movement, uh, a time when the movement would uh, would come offline and begin mm. building itself, begin recruiting. That's actually a, an interesting point because I, yeah. I I agree with. I mean, I think this is definitely a turning point for the for their movement. But uh, the reality is, how many people would you say showed up there that were there to support this particular rally, to support this cause? I my my estimate is well over a thousand people were Whoa. in were in Emancipation Park, uh, formerly known as Lee Park, where the statue of General mm. Lee on a on a horse sits. Uh, I, I don't know if, if your eyes was there the one Joshua, organization that organized it. Several um, the a lot of the uh, coordinated, well organized, uh, sort of heavily armed, by which I mean mostly carrying uh, improvised shields and uh, billy clubs, and in some cases wearing sidearms uh, or other uh, heavier weapons in their pockets. Uh, groups, uh, people uh, organized through the Proud Boys, as they like to call themselves, uh, and other uh, fascist American uh, race hatred uh, organizations, were were out in force and were uh, carefully marshaled throughout the day. Um, one of the things that that uh, struck me uh, on the street there was the contrast between how uh, active and and disciplined and mobile the uh, white supremacist groups on the ground were, and how passive and sort of uh, captured in between the lines of people uh, and passive, frankly, the state troopers and city cops were who were on hand. Mm. Why, uh, Josh? Would would the why, why the need for these heavy arms and why the need for all these? And if they're coming to to a protest, why did they come make it a armed camp, basically? What what did they expect? What white nationalists themselves say uh, in their media, if you read uh, Daily Stormer, uh, sort of the premier uh, alt-right white nationalist website, what they'll say is, you know, we have to have uh, these shields, we have to have these weapons, we have to have this body armor to protect ourselves from the violent, intolerant left. Uh, but it was obvious that these groups came spoiling for a fight. Uh, and that that includes, uh, there were several uh, militias there um, mm -hmm. that were sort of on varying sides of this. There was a very complicated dynamic with some of the militias. Uh, the Trad Workers, uh, Traditionalist Workers Party, uh, was there in force, definitely geared up for a fight. There were Klan groups there, uh, explicitly neo-Nazi groups there uh, <laughs> as well. Um, so... You saw what happened. You saw you were there Friday night and then Saturday. Yeah, right? yeah. Joshua was there on Friday, and I think I think right. it helps to back up to yeah. to this torch rally I, on Friday. That's night. what I wanted. Yeah. To, you know, yeah. I wanted to talk specifically yeah. about that torch rally, if if I could, because yeah. there are so many people out there carrying the torches whose faces are are out there now, and so you hear a lot of people who are saying, "Oh, I'm not a white supremacist," even though I was caught on camera at a white supremacist right. rally, or right. I'm no racist. Just because you were there, I mean, and one of the guys was the guy who, who the driver of the car, the next James yeah. Field was out there. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. appears to be. Yeah, his, I mean, I his high school teacher is out here uh, in in the press talking about it. I'm pretty and sure. And I saw some videos. Nazi sympathies when I taught him. The yeah. line of people they had. Yeah, I don't know what, what did they think was going to happen when you put your face out there, at, like at a white supremacist rally, carrying these torches. They don't care, do they? 
Well, well, I mean, the thing is, though, a lot of them are walking it back and saying, oh, I'm not oh, a racist, I'm oh, not a racist, oh, yeah. but the, I was, you know. The, 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 the phrase mob mentality is sort of a cliche that I think a lot of us toss around without thinking about quite what it means, and I'm not sure I'd ever properly seen it before uh, with my own eyes in, in person before Saturday. Uh, the, there's a level of boldness and, and naked aggression in the ways that uh, we were seeing people up in the square interact with other folks, even not, not just uh, the, the Antifa counter-protesters, um, even the, the nonviolent resistance marchers who were there who, uh, at the start of the day, at least far outnumbered the Antifa folks uh, on, on hand to try to counter-protest, counteract. What does that mean, Antifa? Uh, it's the, the sort of black bloc anarchist groups that have uh, reorganized themselves around, uh, it's short for anti-fascist. Uh, it, oh, it, it's the, okay. Yeah. The, you hear a lot of uh, one of their favorite chants is anytime, any place, punch a Nazi in the face. It's the yeah, it's it's yeah. it's the group of people who have yeah. decided that um, no, ignoring this is not going to make it go away, and yeah. and no, this isn't a mode of speech that should be uh, protected, uh, and and it should be combated uh, verbally and if and as necessary physically. To your and point, and they were and they were there and they were spoiling for a fight, but but uh, both sides were in this case. Uh, it's just that those aren't the only two sides, <laughs> and mm. and there was a, this large third group of people who were seeking to uh, prevent the the white supremacist groups from entering the park and holding the park, um, and basically block their rally through nonviolent protest, uh, and were unable to do so, and and that's part of what set the stage on Saturday for this uh, and, conflagration. And uh, as Alan said, you know, uh, Antifa were there; uh, they were also. Uh, you know, some of them carrying light weapons, shields, body armor, spoiling for a fight. Uh, my impression, and Alan, correct me if you think this is wrong, is that the the alt right white nationalist groups were far more heavily armed uh, and armored. Yeah, and 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 more more organized and more uh, sort of had a had a clear battle plan. There's a there's an a, an eerie uh, discipline and sort of okay. you can tell that people have their blood up. They're excited about. All right, but about well, from what you say that there were the anti-fascists and then there were the fascists, then let's listen again to what Donald Trump said mm-hmm. on Saturday, um, condemning the violence. We got him here. Yeah. We condemn in the strongest possible terms this egregious display of hatred, bigotry, and violence on many sides. So was he right on many sides? I think uh, there was violence perpetrated by two different distinct groups of people there for two very different purposes to assert that uh, the day's events owe to some abstract, uh, unnameable uh, solution out, out out there in the world of of violence and bigotry and hatred uh, that that can be ascribed to all present is is patently absurd. Uh, as Joshua said, it, it it was very clear that the the fascist groups that showed up were there to provoke a confrontation. Um, and and if you go back to those same message boards, if you go back to the Daily Stormer and places like it in the in the days uh, and hours following the dispersal uh, on Saturday. It's clear that they feel that they they won. Their their whole philosophy is, um, we do this to to try to illustrate to the world that uh, our ideas can only be beaten with uh, with sticks. So uh, and, and not 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 out argued. Uh, and 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 but none of this is an argument. It's just it's just chaos. It's just a street fight. And and it's a street fight that happens under the watching eyes of state police. Of state police. And and, and you know while we certainly have have freedom of speech in this country, and everyone has that, no matter how vile the speech. Uh, I think it's important not to lose sight of the fact that uh, when 
these white nationalists, white supremacists, Nazis, um, talk about their ideas can only be defeated by violence. The ideas they're talking about are genocide. Right. Really? Well, that's what I... So you, you mentioned the torch rally the night before. So here is the chant uh, as they're marching, and I'm sure you heard them, uh, Joshua, um, marching in the streets. You will not replace us. What does that mean? What do, what do they want? So what triggered this whole thing is uh, a plan. They also chant blood and soil. Blood and soil is yeah. about as direct yeah. a connection back yeah. to yeah. out and out national socialism and, yeah. and nationalist right. revolutions you can get. Joshua? Yeah. So what triggered this whole, this whole confrontation uh, in Charlottesville, and it's been going on for months, uh, local Black Lives Matter activists told me uh, not to this extent, not to this size, but these sorts of things have become uh, just sort of a part of life in the city now, these sorts of rallies. Uh, but what triggered this is, is discussion of removing a statue of Robert E. Lee from the yeah. city park, uh, the statue of Robert E. Lee riding So a is horse. that what they were talking about? You will not replace us? That's uh, that I think is the uh, inciting event, the acute uh, sort of micro uh, cause for this particular uh, gathering on this particular statue. day in this particular yeah. place. Right. What that chant is about is the perception, the core perception, the driving belief that uh, there was a time in this country when we were a white ethno nationalist uh, Christian state, uh, and as uh, believers in multiculturalism and human equality and programs uh, and programs and policies designed to promote the equity of different groups of people and to uh, uh, bring bring access to opportunity to marginalized groups historically uh, that all of that amounts to not just taking something away from white people but uh, the beginnings of an effort to erase uh, a pure white, a pure line of whiteness and and a white hegemony in society. So oh, that that chant and and uh, blood and soil right. and all the rest of it is about the perception that all of this is ours and any anything that uh, that that threatens that uh, ownership and control and and hegemony is uh, is is anti white racism is a threat to our identity. It's a pretty clear definition of neo Nazism. It sure, it? yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, Joshua? yeah. And, and, and I want to say something about the context for that chant uh, yeah. when I heard it. Yeah. Uh, this was on the University of Virginia campus uh, at the Rotunda, um, this towering building with these steps leading up to it. It looks like, almost like yeah. a mountain. Yeah. Uh, and then in this courtyard below is uh, a statue of Thomas Jefferson. And surrounding that statue were maybe 20 or 30 like undergrads, kids from the University of Virginia with a banner, uh, you know, UVA students against white supremacy. And uh, this torch rally, 200, 300, mostly men, uh, mostly pretty large men, a lot of really jacked guys, uh, carrying these torches at night surrounded this oh. uh, and were chanting this. You will not replace us. You will not replace us and white lives matter uh, to these, you know, maybe 20, 30 counter-protesters. That's horrifying. Oh, it is. Uh, and, yes. and then I, I was in between the two groups. 
uh, That's reporting a bad there. Place to be, Josh. It was. That's not a good place. It was. I uh, uh, a scuffle broke out. Uh, one of the the white oh. nationalist protesters uh, maced uh, counter protesters. Uh, I saw one of the torches thrown, uh, and then I exited through the circle to try to get uh, not in between these two groups. Uh, the person immediately to my left, as I was going out the circle, was wearing a sidearm. Um, he saw me leaving, started to follow after me, asking who I was. I think he thought I was one of the counter-protesters who'd maybe been involved in the scuffle that was trying to get away. Several other people joined him. Uh, they backed off when I showed them my press credentials. Uh, but it was a really dicey situation. And Whoa. at that time, uh, there was no police presence. I was going to ask oh, you, what, was there, there any no police, police presence, presence at all? No. Uh, no police presence with the torch rally. Uh, really no police presence until uh, after after the scuffle, after the fight, after things had started getting bad. Good grief. I want to hit on a point really quickly, because you'd mentioned earlier about how these guys were not scared. They didn't really seem to have much fear about being out there. This morning on Good Morning America, uh, Attorney General Jefferson Sessions talking about the car attack. Uh, he says, quote, it does meet the definition of t uh, terrorism in our statute. We are pursuing it in the Department of Justice every way that we can make a case. You can be sure we will charge and advance the investigation towards the most serious charges that can be brought because this is unequivocally an, an, and an unacceptable evil attack. Terrorism investigators from the FBI are working on the case as well as Civil Rights Division FBI agents. So that's the word from Jefferson Sessions, but Donald Trump hasn't really helped ratchet this thing down at all. Um, so my, my question here is, like, are, are we going to see any real action? Do you guys see any real action or any movement on this, like, from a federal level? I, you also, another another useful comment from the weekend to bring into that, to, to address that question directly, is uh, Dr. David Duke yeah. uh, openly saying to the president, don't forget who put you here. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Let's listen to David Duke. Here he is, David Duke saying, Here's why we're here. We are here in Charlottesville to carry out the agenda of Donald Trump. David Duke in Charlottesville, Saturday. We are determined to take our country back. We're going to fulfill the promises of Donald Trump. That's what we believed in. That's why we voted for Donald Trump, because he said he's going to take our country back. And that's what we got to do. He's our guy. Yeah, and 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 they've been really clear and consistent on that point um, for for some months now. And I think that the reason I the reason I bring that up in response to that quote from Sessions, uh, Jeff Sessions' uh, opening investigation in the first place, uh, I think defied defied a lot defied the odds defied a lot of expectations of Jeff Sessions based on who he is. A lot of a lot of us um, were have been reluctant to believe that uh, in a rubber meets road moment like this one um, that that somebody with his uh, background and and personal beliefs, uh, not just about about America and, uh, and and the world, but about the law and, and the nature of the law. He he fundamentally doesn't really believe in uh, hate crimes statutes and, and yeah. uh, investigations predicated on uh, on on the the motivation of an, of a given uh, act of violence. Um, so it's so it's on the one hand it's it's a, a pleasant surprise that he's doing anything at all. Yeah, but on the other, slow down. 
he's, nothing has happened yet. Exactly, and and you can't and, take him and out. if you believe Jeff Sessions, that's one thing. I don't believe a word he says. Well, and and the the woman who ran the civil rights division for years uh, under under President Obama, uh, Vanita Gupta. Uh, pointed out pretty much immediately how narrow an investigation he's proposed. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's talking about he's assigned agents to look into specifically uh, the 20 year old who's who's since been charged with murder uh, in the the car attack on protesters a few blocks yeah. away from the square. He has not uh, called for a broader look at, uh, at these the, organizations. The organizations that that right. um, came together mm-hmm. explicitly to proclaim uh, a a a new a newly bold. Uh, newly powerful moment for this old ugly idea that white identity must be protected from outsiders, from the other, from from black people, from gay people, um, from probably even Catholics. If this goes on long enough, we'll probably get back to you know worrying about worrying about the papists. Um, it's 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 all it's all old old American stuff. It's not new. It's just that it's a lot uh, prouder now than it's been in, in some decades. Mm-hmm. And, and from what we know, uh, at this point, the investigation from the Department of Justice will also not touch on uh, possible civil rights violations uh, by uh, either Charlottesville or Virginia State Police. Yeah, the, 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 the police response to uh, events like this, where it's very easy to anticipate that there are going to be two groups in the street seeking violence between each other uh and and when you've decided to permit a rally that you know is going to incite that kind of counter protest it's actually not that difficult to uh police that space in a way that keeps those two groups physically separate and uh minimizes the chance of an out and out street fight like we saw on saturday this statue is still there of course yeah and it's going to come down someday maybe maybe uh, maybe right. probably, yeah. I, that the one of the My, um, folks leading a march that we talked to, uh, Don Gathers, mm-hmm. down in in Charlottesville, mm-hmm. has been involved in this city commission that that reviewed the monuments and, and made recommendations about what to do with them. And they've recommended that the statues be uh, auctioned okay. off. My point sold. is that um, as long as it's there, there are going to be more protests, aren't there? Josh, did you hear that from people? Are they... Yeah, I don't think uh, I don't think the white nationalists protesters are, are going away uh, anytime soon. Uh, there are already plans going forward, uh, I understand, for rallies in uh, Portland, Oregon, and in Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, if anything, I think this is... Uh, Same grounds? I mean, there are statues that are... I mean, wh- wh- uh, different grounds, those cities? Uh, different grounds, uh, but uh, part <coughs> of the larger narrative... Uh, if anything, I think this is an emboldening moment for for uh, them. For them, yeah. And I think uh, probably the only thing I'll ever agree with a uh, Daily Stormer on. Uh, I think uh, they were right in their assessment of of what this meant for their movement, and probably right in their assessment of how the day turned out for them. Yeah, I I, I tend to agree with that. I think that uh, they were able to take the physical space that they intended to, uh, despite nonviolent attempts to keep them out of it, and they were able to get a ton of attention um, for their okay. ideology. And so, it remains to be seen whether or not the fact that somebody got freaking killed yeah. Uh, yeah. In, in relation to that a couple hours later, just down the street, will actually in any way, in any meaningful way, be a setback. For, so for um, everybody's asking the question, starting with uh, Orrin Hatch, not just Democrats, if President Obama, if President Obama, I wish, President Trump is so quick to say Islamic... Radical Islamic terrorist. 
Why can't he say the words white supremacist? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I could, I'd be... I'd be happy to speculate off the air, uh, but I think uh, I think my 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 reaction to that line of questioning is always um, okay. So we set the bar at uh, Donald Trump has to say the words "white supremacist." Uh, he'll he'll find a way to do that. It yeah. might it might the words might strangle in his throat a few times. He's probably standing in front of a mirror right now practicing. Um, but if but if we if we set the bar that all he has to do is yeah, right. sort of reluctantly name. Uh, the the actual uh, causal root of of, of yeah. this stuff, um, then I I think he'll find a way to un, in an ungainly amateurish way clear that bar and keep and keep moving. Well, that, that was my, and, but by the way, I think if he does, the response from white nationalists will be, "We know he had he to had do to that. say that." Yep. Yeah, yep, yep. that was my reaction watching everybody yesterday and, and yeah, Saturday yeah. saying the president has an issued a statement on this. The president and I was like, he'll he'll get around to issuing a statement, but it doesn't matter. Like the statement that he puts out genuinely doesn't matter because you look at his actions up to this point, and you know it's just lip service. Yeah. And you're right; they'll easily write that off. Whatever apology yeah. right. or right. condemnation of white supremacy that he puts out there will easily be written off. But remember, Ivanka said it. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, well, and, so. and I and, and I think that the the again, the the thing that I'm going to take away from what we saw on Saturday more than anything else is how uh, potent a thing it is to have 500, 600, 800 people standing behind you and shoulder to shoulder yeah. with you going, yeah, you're right. We're right about this. Yeah, it brings yeah. out the absolute worst and most aggressive side. Of uh, especially when they have big guns they're carrying big guns. Yes, indeed. Uh, on our soil. Joshua, nice to see you. Thanks so much. Thank Come back again, me. okay? Joshua Eaton and Alan Pike, both from Think Progress, thinkprogress.org. Have a good one. We'll see you tomorrow. Show.